Well, good morning. Welcome to church this morning. Welcome to everybody watching. Uh, my name is Greg, one of the pastors here. And so if this is your first time, just really glad that you're here and that you can learn uh, from the Word of God with us this morning. Uh, I, I want to start off by asking a question. Have you ever encountered an angel? Have you ever had an experience with an angel? You know, before I became a pastor here at South Bay, I uh, was working as an oil surveyor. And so I would go and survey oil in the tank farms near the port of Los Angeles and the port of Long Beach. And so one day I had a, uh, a tank I needed to survey. And so um, I, I drive down to the port of Los Angeles. I park my truck. And the thing about this place is there aren't pedestrians. There's no foot traffic in the area, right? Because right? there's no residences. There's no restaurants, no stores, not even any sidewalks. So you don't see people walking up and down the street. Well, I park my car, I'm going to the office, to the place where I need to go into, and as I'm walking, I see this man walking toward me. Doesn't have a uniform on or anything, doesn't look like one of the workers. So I think, oh, may maybe he's homeless. And as we're about to pass each other, he stops me. He says, hey, can I get some money? I really need a drink. And it was a hot day, so that's understandable. And so I said, no, I don't have any cash on me, but I know there's a vending machine in the office I'm heading toward. I could... Use my credit card and get you a Gatorade. Is that cool? He said, oh, that'd be great. And so I run to the office. I get a Gatorade, bring it back out, and I hand him this nice cold bottle of Gatorade. And I'll never forget, he looks me in the eye, and he says, thank you. I'll pay you back. I said, no problem. No problem. So he goes on his way. I go on my way. And then right as we leave, I think to myself, wait, hold on. How's he going to pay me back? Right? I don't know the guy. We're, he's a stranger to me. I'm a stranger to him. How, he said it so convincingly. How's he going to pay me back? And so when I thought that, I turned around. And when I turned around, he was gone. No, I'm just kidding. He was still right there. He was, <laughs> he was still there. He was walking away. But as he walked away, he had his head over his shoulder, and he kept smiling at me as if he really was going to pay me back. And I couldn't help but to think, who, who is that man? And, and my mind went straight to Hebrews chapter 13. And in Hebrews 13, verse 2, I remember reading that it says, Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, some have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. I can't help but wonder, was that an angel? Maybe. Maybe not. How do I know? How am I supposed to tell? And maybe you've had an encounter with someone or something happened and you wonder, was that an angel? How do we even know if angels were among us? I think we get so fascinated with the idea of angels and the existence and the reality of angels that we could even make up things in our own minds about them. I think it would do us well to open up the Bible and see what does God say about angels? Who are they? And what do they do? Last week, we started a series here called God versus Satan. God versus Satan. It's a battle, a cosmic battle between light and darkness. And in this battle, there are armies, there are angels, and there are demons fighting alongside God and Satan. And so in the next couple of messages, we're going to be talking about angels and demons. Next week, we'll focus more on what the Bible says about demons. But today, I want to talk about angels and see what does the Bible say. And I'm going to do it by asking three basic questions. Okay, so here's a roadmap. Here's where we're going today. The roadmap is just three questions. What do angels look like? What do they do? And what do they have to do with me? 
In other words, we'll look at the appearance of angels, the activities of angels, and the application from angels, okay? So before we do that, let's pray. Uh, Join me as we ask God to lead us into his word. Let's pray. Father God, right now we ask that you would come and you would speak. God, we don't want to hear about man-made ideas or thoughts or opinions. God, we want to know what you say. And so, God, we want to give you our hearts and our ears. We want to give you our attention, too. And yet, at the same time, we know that there is a real enemy, one who would love to keep us distracted, to keep our mind thinking about other things, like what are we going to eat for lunch, or what do I got to do today, or what's this weekend look like at work? And God, I just pray right now that you would protect us. And I pray that if, if you need to use angels and you want to dispatch angels to shield us, then do so according to your pleasure, God. But God, I pray that you would open our eyes and help us to be aware of who you are and what you are doing here in the midst of us, Lord. God, we look forward to what you're going to speak to us. Put your truth in our hearts, and we pray this in Jesus' name. And we all say, amen, amen. So let's start with the appearance of angels. Let's talk about what do they look like. And so the Bible tells us that angels are created spirit beings. They have been created with emotions and intelligence and a will. But if they're spirit beings, can they be seen? And if they can be seen, what do they look like? What do they look like? And maybe you have a picture in your mind because, to be honest, the world and movies and media gives us ideas of what angels look like. And so maybe you have something in your mind. And so I typed an angel into Google and and some images popped up. And maybe what you see in your mind is something like one of these renditions of, of an angel. And oftentimes when we think of an angel, we think of one who's lovely in figure, right? And maybe your picture looks like one of these. And if you look at these, or go back one more, if you look at those pictures, you'll notice that Many of them are female and feminine in form. But did you know that not once in the Bible is, a fe- is an angel described as female or feminine? Not once. Or maybe you grew up with precious moments. Or maybe you have a child and you had decor in your child's room. And so you think about this. You think about a, a little cute little child cherub angel with chubby cheeks. But did you know not once in the Bible is a, an angel described as a child? There are no children angels in the Bible, not once. Every time an angel is mentioned in the Bible, he is always masculine in form. Masculine, kind of like this. Like this. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> You can go ahead and take that down really quick. Take that down. <laughs> By the way, I did not make that. I do not have time for that kind of stuff. But, but really, in all honesty, in the Bible, angels, when they appear, are masculine. That is actually a fact. Now, what do angels really look like? Does it mean that they look like men with big wings? Well, here's what's interesting is that there are different categories and classes of what we call angels, under, under the umbrella of what we know as angels, or I would like to say heavenly beings, are different classes. So, for example, in the animal kingdom, you have reptiles, you have mammals, you have birds, you have fishes. Under the animal kingdom, and under the heavenly creature umbrella, you have 
different classes. Let me share with you three this morning that we see commonly in the Bible. The first is this. If you're taking notes, we see the Malachim. The Malachim. Malachim is a plural form of Malak, which is the Hebrew word messenger. The Greek word for that is angelos, messenger, which is translated into English to angel. It's angel. And so in very nature, what an angel is, when we see angel appear in the, Bible, in the English Bible, it's in very nature, by definition, a messenger, one who has been sent by God to convey the message of God. That is his job, and that is who he is. And oftentimes when you see Malachim or you see Angelas come and appear, if they do, they often appear in human form and look like many of us do. For example, remember Genesis chapter 19? In Genesis 19, God sends two visitors, Malachim, to the city of Sodom. And Lot sees these two visitors, these messengers, and what does he say? He says, my, what large wings you have. You must be angels, right? No. He says, hey, why don't you come to my house, wash up, you can wash your feet, and you can spend the night. And he actually invites them over to his home, and he bakes them bread, and he feeds them. He has no idea that they're angels. Why? Because they looked just like him. In fact, in Hebrews 13, that verse where I just read earlier where it says, some have entertained angels Without even knowing it, some have shown hospitality to angels. It's referring to Genesis 19, to this time when Lot thought they were just men like him. His uncle Abraham did it as well. And so here in this passage, we see that they could take the appearance of humans. Go to the New Testament. In the book of Mark, Mark tells us about when Jesus went into the tomb, there were two women who went to the tomb. And Mark writes this in Mark 16, verse 5 and 6. It says, and entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed, probably because what is a man doing in Jesus' grave? And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. And so these women see this young man sitting there, this messenger, this angelos who has come to convey the message that Jesus is not here. He has risen. He has risen. Now, notice this young man. Put the verse back up. If you look at the verse, tell me, how many wings does this young man have? How many wings? Count it up. Zero. There's no wings on this guy. He just looks like a young man. I want to put up the pictures again from Google Images. You type in angel. What do you see? All these angels, these renditions of angels, what do they have in common? Wings. Two wings. Where do we get this idea? Because you know in the Bible, not one time do we read the word angel, malachim or angelos, and in the same context, any mention of any wings. The Bible never mentions that angels have wings. Where do we get that from? Well, there's a second class of heavenly creatures. Write this down. Number two, the Bible also talks about cherubim. Cherubim, that's plural form for cherub. And cherubim are these heavenly creatures who actually have wings. They have four, not two, they have four. But did you know that cherubim are never, ever called angels? 
They're never called angels. Why? Because cherubim are not malachim. Cherubim are not messengers. They have different roles. But here's how they look like. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 10 gives us a description. It says in verse 21, each had four faces and four wings and underneath their wings, the likeness of human hands. And then Ezekiel goes on to describe how they have straight legs and as feet, they have hooves. I mean, imagine what that heavenly creature looks like. It's definitely not what we normally think of when we think of angel. And yet cherubim are never described as angels, though they do have wings. And because they're not malachim, that probably means they have a different role. And so they're never seen on earth as messengers, but more often they're associated with being around a throne in heaven. They're the ones who tend to the throne, who carry out the will of God, who sits on the throne. There's a time in Genesis when they were sent to guard, there's a cherubim sent to guard the east side of the Garden of Eden. But more often they are doing that, carrying out the will of God or singing praises to him around the throne. That's the cherubim. And then I want to share with you one more we read about in the Bible, and that's the seraphim. Would you write, write that down? The third class of angels we'll talk about today is the seraphim. I say angels because that's our general categorization of them, but the Bible never calls seraphim angels either. They're these heavenly creatures, and we read about in Isaiah 6 and verse 2, Isaiah gets a vision of the throne room of heaven, and he sees the Lord sitting on the throne, and it says, above him stood the seraphim. Each had how many? Six wings. Six wings. And with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And the seraphim are there around the throne, and they're regarded as the highest ranked of the heavenly beings. They're the ones who are always around the throne, and they are often seen, seen worshiping God, worshiping him. Why aren't they called angels? Well, once again, like the cherubim, because they're not malachim. They aren't sent to earth to be messengers. They're there to worship the Lord on the throne. So here we have the malachim, the cherubim, and the seraphim. All are these heavenly creatures created for specific purposes, but they have different roles and different appearances, different forms, and not every angel is alike. So that's a little bit about what the Bible says about their appearances. And I want to move on because more important than the appearance of these heavenly creatures, more important than the appearance of angels is the activity of angels. What, what do they do? What do they do? So let's talk about the activities of angels. So remember, we're talking about this cosmic battle, God versus Satan. And angels are part of God's heavenly army. And they have a task. They have the purpose of serving the, the chief commander. They carry out his commands. And if that's the angel's task, then what's the demon's task? Well, big task that they have is to thwart God's plans, to destroy his plans, right? And so that's why there's this cosmic battle. But if the angels are there to serve God's purposes, what are those purposes? How do they serve? Well, we already talked about how they're deliverers of God's message, right? They deliver God's message. Let me give you two more major activities that we find in the Bible. Here's the first one. Would you write this down if you're taking notes? Angels proclaim God's praises. 
Angels proclaim God's praises. You can't talk about angels and not talk about their praise. And so I want to take you back. Go back to Isaiah 6. Okay, I want to give you a, a better picture of what's going on in Isaiah 6. And once again, it's the year 740 BC before Christ. And Isaiah is this prophet of God. And he's given a, a special glimpse of the throne room of heaven. And here's what he says in verse 1. He says, in the year that King Uzziah died... I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. Two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one called out to the other and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And so they're, they're, they're the seraphim, and they're covering themselves as they behold the fullness, the brilliance, and the glory of the Lord who sits on the throne. Now think about this for a moment with me. Think about this. Imagine you're sleeping tonight, and you wake up in the middle of the night. You're awoken, and at the foot of your bed, there's an angel. What do you do? How do you react? There's an angel at your bed. And I'm not talking about these precious little moments like cherub, angel, stand. I'm talking about a six-winged seraphim is there in your room. If that were even possible, what do you do? How do you react when you see a six-winged masculine seraphim? I would wet the bed. <laughs> like, what, how do you respond? Like, it's just overwhelming. I, would, I might die. And as overwhelming as it is to think about seeing a six-winged seraphim, as overwhelming as that seraphim is, the overwhelming seraphim are overwhelmed as they stare at him. They see him in all his purity, in all his glory, in all his holiness, and they can't help but react. And they respond using every wing that they have, everything that God has created them to have. They use it purposefully to cover their faces, to cover their feet because of his purity, to use the remaining two to not fall over and worship and cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. He is worthy of our worship. Now, here's what's fascinating about this passage. In the Hebrew culture and the language, when you want to emphasize something, when you want to, to show something's tr truthfulness, its strength, even its urgency, there's ways that they would do it. They had devices because they don't have the devices we have today, right? In this day and age, in our culture, when you want to emphasize something and you want to really make a point, what do we do? Like, we have tools to do that. So, for example, let's say I get an email from my wife, and it looks like this. Here's what she writes in her email. She says, dinner is at 6 o'clock. Don't be late. And I'll take that out, and I'll read that and say, okay, dinner is at 6. All right, cool. I'll, I'll try to be home by 6. Depending how busy it is at work, maybe 6.05, 6.10, maybe. But then if she wrote the email like this, she says, in all caps, dinner is at 6 o'clock. Do not be laid. All caps, bold font, underline, exclamation, exclamation, exclamation. How do I respond? I think I'll go home now. Like, I'm not, not going to be late today, right? Because she's making a point. This is important. Do not be late. 
problem is, in the Hebrew culture, they didn't have underline and bold font and all caps and emphasis, uh, exclamation points. So how did they communicate something that needed to be emphasized? They have a device called repetition. And you often see in the Bible certain themes or words being repeated. Why? Because it's important. You have to know how true this is. And so when you see something repeated twice, pay attention. So when Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, well, listen up. He's about to drop some serious truth. Here are three times. Theologians call it the trihagion, three times holy. Three times the angels see him. They're fully aware of who he is, and they declare, holy, holy, holy. Tri means three. Hayyan is holy. Three times holy is the only characteristic of God that's ever repeated three times in succession because that's what they see, and he is worthy of our worship. There are two times in the Bible when mortal men on earth have this privilege of seeing what the heavenly throne room looks like. In 740 BC with Isaiah, here in Isaiah chapter six, he gets a glimpse. And then later on, over 800 years later, in the last book of the Bible, book of Revelation, John gets to also see the throne room. Here's two men in completely different generations, not even generations, centuries apart. Over 800 centuries, John gets a glimpse to, what, what do you think John sees? He sees seraphim, angels around the throne. And what are they saying? Holy, holy, holy. The angels in 740 BC, when Isaiah got to see it, saw his worth. The angels later in the first century were still singing the same thing because they still saw his worth. It's as if it doesn't get old for these angels. Who knows how many millions of years they've been in his presence, fully aware of who he is, and the worship never gets old. He always was and is and will forever be holy. And so the angels who see him will forever proclaim God's praises. So that's a major activity of the angels. They proclaim God's praises. Let me give you one more major activity. And this is angels protect God's people. Would you write that down? Angels protect God's people. Now, people often wonder, maybe you've wondered, do we have guardian angels? Do we have guardian angels? And to be honest, in the Bible, there's just no passage, no biblical description of us having specific guardian angels. The Bible doesn't say anything about that, as if each of us is assigned a specific angel from heaven. Like, for example, you, you have an angel, and his name is Raphael, and you have an angel, and his name is Michelangelo, and, and you, maybe you have an angel named Leonardo, and you have one named Donatello. <laughs> those are guardian ninja turtles. Like, those aren't guardian angels, right? There's nothing in the Bible that talks about guardian angels specific to each person, but... With that being said, the promise from the Bible is that there are angels who do protect and defend God's people. We can know that for sure. Psalm 91.11, for example, says this. It says in Psalm 91.11, For he, God, will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. 
And one thing that I've been blessed by in this study, and I hope you are too, is that there are angels among us here more regularly than we realize. I love the story in Daniel 6. And maybe if you grew up in church, you know this story where Daniel gets in trouble for praying to God. He insists on praying to God when the king said, you should not pray to any other God. And so Daniel says, I don't care, I'm praying to God. And so Daniel gets thrown into this den full of hungry man-eating lions. You guys know the story? And, and so he's praying, and, and by the next morning, the king checks on him, and what happens? Daniel is untouched, unscathed by these lions. And if you know that story, I don't know how you've pictured that in your mind, but usually maybe you're in your mind you have a picture kind of like this. And you, you picture Daniel just kicking it with the lions in the den, right? Untouched. That's how I've always pictured it. But I'm willing to bet that many of us have never pictured the scene to actually look more like this. Where Daniel's in the den with the lions and an angel there shutting the mouth of lions. And I think this is closer to what really happened than what we usually have in our minds. In fact, I can guarantee you this is what the scene looked like. How do I know? Because Daniel said it. Daniel tells us in Daniel chapter 6, verse 22, I don't know why I've never noticed before, maybe you have, but he says in verse 22 to the king, he says, my God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king. I've done no harm. How did that angel get there? I've never seen that. And yet it was the way that God protected him. God is our protector. And he'll protect us any way he pleases. And so often, I believe, he dispatches angels to defend us. So often we probably don't even know it because... It's invisible to us. I love the story in 2 Kings. You guys know the story about Elisha? And Elisha is a, a prophet doing things for God to, to bless the nation of Israel. And so here he is. He's doing great things for, for the king of Israel. And the enemy king of Syria wants Elisha killed. He's doing too much. Let's kill the guy. So the king of Syria surrounds Elisha and then the city he's in, he surrounds it with horses and armies and chariots. And so imagine this, like they're, they're, they're camped in the city and Elisha's servant comes out of the tent. He wakes up in the morning and terrified. He's terrified because as he steps out of the tent, he's looking all around and there's horses and chariots and armies surrounding them. And it says there in 2 Kings, it says, When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? But Elisha wasn't afraid. And so Elisha says, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Who in the world was with Elisha and his servant? Who was with them? Elisha prayed and said, oh, Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. And so the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And what they saw was that the army of heaven, 
that was with that was greater in number and power than the armies that came to attack them. <laughs> I love that, that, that Elisha, when he prays, he's not praying, God, change the situation. He's just saying, God, open the eyes of our, of, of our hearts and our minds to see the reality of the situation. God didn't need to change anything. The angels were already there defending and protecting them. And they didn't know it until their eyes were open. If we could only see the realities of God's protection over us, if we could only see the times when God sent his angel armies to defend us. I have a friend named Leo, and I've shared about him in, in uh, several messages, usually when I'm talking about spiritual warfare, because he's had a lot of experiences. And Leo's a good personal friend of mine, and he married Stephanie, who I grew up in church with, so they're good friends, and they serve in Indonesia. And they go and teach the Bible and preach the gospel to the Indonesians. And I remember one time, uh, Leo was here in the U.S. and we had lunch together. And a lot of times their ministry is to these villages where there's people deep in occult practices, deep spiritual dark practices. And over lunch, Leo was sharing me one time they went to a village to teach the Bible, to share the gospel. And one of the villagers opened up their home to host them. And so Leo and his team, they, they went to stay at this host's home, and, you know, they're teaching the Bible, doing their ministry, go to bed, kind of a normal night. Leo tells me the next morning, the witch doctor in that village, the spiritist in that village, told the owner of the home that they stayed in. and said, last night, I knew that the Christians were in your home, and I sent evil spirits into the home to test how powerful their message really is. The, the power that they proclaim to test how powerful this is. Leo tells me this. He says, the witch doctor said that the evil spirits came back and reported we could not enter into the home because of the shield of light that surrounded that house. This is my friend Leo telling me this. I'm not reading this off the internet. Leo's telling me, and over lunch, he tells me with 100% with conviction, I believe that the army of God protected us and shielded us that night unbeknownst to him. He's just going through the normal activities, just preaching the word, going to sleep, eating dinner, and he had no idea until the witch doctor said, this is what the evil spirit said. How often has God sent his protection over us, angels to minister to us? Perhaps today, as you were coming to church, you were protected from a car blindsiding you and you had no idea. Perhaps you were kept from seeing something that was gonna cause you to stumble. Perhaps you were kept from hearing something that would have emotionally destroyed you today. And you're, you're fine. You have no idea that you could have been attacked. How often times has God sent his protection? All throughout our lives, maybe all throughout this week, maybe all throughout this morning. Now the question is, some of you are probably asking, well, what about the times I wasn't protected? What about the time I got into a car accident? What about the time I broke my collarbone? What about the time I got COVID? Where was protection then? And I think that's a great question because I, I asked that too. 
And so hold on to that because I'm going to try to address that as we get into the application. But that's what I wanted to point out. Two major activities of angels in the Bible is they proclaim God's praises and they protect God's people. Praise God for the ministry of his angels. Now the question is, so what? What does this have to do with me? How does this change my life? Well, let me give you two points of applications, two takeaway truths I hope you take away with you. Number one, here's how it impacts us. Here's what we should do. Praise God for the angels that show up. Praise God for the angels that show up. Because they show up more than we realize. And though you may never see them show up, they show up. Hebrews 1.14 says this, are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? This is not Old Testament here. This is to the church. Are not, is that not their purpose to be sent out to minister to those who will receive salvation? My prayer is that God will do for you what he did for me as I prepare this message, that, that we would have a greater awareness that there are angels all around us constantly ministering and constantly protecting us, even when they go unnoticed. And I pray that causes us to praise God. So, so Friday morning, this has become like a routine for me in, in my message prep. When I finish the message, hopefully by Friday, I go for a bike ride, a road bike ride. And on my road bike, I'll just kind of process the message. I'll go over it in my mind. I'll meditate upon it. And I was doing that Friday morning, and I'm riding my bike, and I'm thinking, God, how many times did I pray for your protection? And I didn't even know it, but there were angels ministering to me. That, that maybe in answers to my prayer, you're sending angels that I've never really thought about that much. And as I'm thinking about this, this is a true story, as I'm thinking about this, I, we normally go down PV Drive, and then we go off into this residential street to avoid the traffic of PV Drive. So we go to this residential street where there's really no traffic at all, and I'm going pretty fast down this hill, and it curves, it takes a, a turn. And as I'm going around that turn, all of a sudden, out of the blindness of that curve, a white pickup truck is headed right toward me. Not going fast, but, but there's never traffic there, so it caught me off guard. So I jam on my brakes, and I jammed on my back brake, and that caused my back tire to skid out, and all of a sudden, I'm sliding. I'm starting to slide out, and just a flash before my eyes, I'm thinking I'm going to lose control. I'm either going to hit this grill head on, or I'm sliding under the truck. And I'm, as I'm sliding out, all of a sudden, my bike corrects. It corrects itself, and then all of a sudden, I gain control, and I'm able to ride around the truck. And normally, typically, my first thought would be, oh, my gosh, I almost died. On that Friday morning, my first thought was, oh, my gosh, I almost died. Like, literally, that's what was going through my mind. Typically, my second thought would be, praise God. Praise God he kept me alive. And on that day, my second thought was, praise God. But I continued that thought, man, thank you, God. How in the world did I survive that? How did I not die? Was it mad skills? I don't think so. Was it God's hand? I truly believe so. I believe God's hand protected me. But I started thinking, what does that mean? What is God's hand? Does like a literal hand come out of heaven to like, choo, pick me up? 
Is there really a hand? Or is God's protection in his hand? Is there this invisible shield to protect me from trucks and danger? Or is it like the, the breath of God to blow me back up right? What does it mean that God protected us, his hand protected us? And that morning I thought, could it have been that when I prayed before this ride, as I do before every ride, God, please protect me, could it be that he deploys angels to surround us and defend us? It could be. Because I think about Daniel 6. When Daniel's thrown in that lion's den and he prays to God and God used an angel as his hand of protection to shut the lion's mouths. And later in Daniel chapter 10, it says that Daniel prays for 21 days. He fasts and prays. And what happens? An angel shows up and an angel says to him, your words were heard and I came in response to your prayers. An angel was the answer to the prayers for protection. I really believe more often than we realize, God has his agents, his heavenly agents to, to come and defend his people. And I pray that after this message, we will realize that God has blessed us and we would praise God because of his protection. Now the question is, why don't we see them? Why are they often so invisible and unnoticeable? And I don't know exactly why, I could take a guess. And my guess would be, why don't we see them? Because I think if we saw them, we'd be tempted to worship them, right? By the sovereignty of God, maybe he's protecting our hearts from worshiping these servants of God, right? Because we're in a culture where we love to, to praise servants of God. We make celebrities out of pastors and rock stars out of worship bands. We're so prone to glorify the servants of God when we should be glorifying the God that they serve, and that's not just a cultural thing. Look back in the Bible when John gets a vision of, of, of heaven. An angel is showing him this. And twice, Revelation 19 and Revelation 22, John admits, he says, when the angel showed me this, I fell at the feet of the angel as if dead, and I worshiped him. And the angel responds, do not do it. In 19 and 22, he says, do not do it. I am a fellow servant just like you. Worship God. This, the, the angel, this is not false humility. He's like, no, stop. Don't worship. No, he's, he's not like, praise God. No, he's like, seriously, I have seen the holiness and the worthiness of God. He is worthy and I am not. Don't do it. Worship him. And we see that that's the purpose of angels, to worship him and to help others worship him. Kind of like what we were created to do. And so praise God for the angels when they show up and when they do, praise God. Not the angels, worship him. Amen? Praise God for when the angels show up. Let me give you one more takeaway. Would you write this down? Praise God when the angels don't show up. Praise God when the angels don't show up. Because we go back to that question, well, what happened when I felt spiritually attacked or physically attacked? Where were the angels when I did get into that car accident? Or when I did break my collarbone? Or when I did contract that disease? Or when my uncle did come down with COVID? Or I did get my bike stolen? Or my heart did get jealous? Or I did get persecuted? 
Where were the angels then? Why didn't they protect me? Listen, there is an army of angels at God's disposal. He can deploy them at any time according to his command, just like he did for Elisha and his servant. And so if he could protect us from something but doesn't, there's got to be a perfectly good reason for that. It must be because our all-wise and sovereign God knows that somehow our affliction will serve his perfect plan for us. He must know something that I don't. You want to talk about being afflicted and attacked? Maybe you've felt afflicted and attacked. Let's talk about being attacked. There was a guy in a garden called Gethsemane. His name is Jesus. And Jesus knows that this enemy is about to try to bruise his heel. And Jesus, his friend Judas, betrays him. And the Jewish leaders surround him. And the Roman soldiers bind him. And all his friends are about to abandon him. Have you ever felt afflicted and attacked? Jesus is surrounded in this moment. What do you do when you feel like you're being attacked by people all around? Well, Peter responds and he reacts and he does what many of us would try to do, right? We try to take the situation into our own hands as if we can really do something about it. He takes out his sword and he starts swinging and he cuts the dude's ear. It's like, what's that going to do, Peter? You're not going to stop this army around Jesus. And that's okay. Jesus says to him in Matthew 26, in verse 53, Jesus says to Peter, he says, Peter, do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? 12 legions. A legion is 6,000 soldiers. He says, Peter, at once I can snap my finger and my father who loves me can send over 72,000 angels to protect me from the cross. And he, he can and he will send the angels to protect me from the cross unless my father has a better plan, a more perfect purpose a reason, a perfectly good reason to hold back his angels. And he says in verse 54, he could do that, but how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? I don't know about you, but I praise God that the angels didn't show up to protect Jesus from the cross when they could have. Because if they did, then we wouldn't have been protected from eternal death. Praise God that the angels didn't show up according to his sovereign purpose. So what about those times when there seemed to be no protection, where the angels seemed silent, when I was injured or mistreated or afflicted or persecuted? Why didn't the angels protect then? And I guarantee you it wasn't because they were sleeping. It wasn't because they were slow. It wasn't because they were short-staffed. It's probably because God has a perfect plan that serves his perfect purposes that will bring him perfect glory. Listen, your God is able to send protection. God will send his protection. And if he doesn't, we praise God for his sovereign perfection. Amen? Amen. Angels. 
exists to worship God. The point of angels is to point to God. So praise God when the angels show up. And praise God even when they don't. Amen? Amen. Would you bow your heads with me? And God, we do that right now. We praise you. We praise you for all your heavenly blessings. Everything in the heavenlies. You you say you have blessed us with all spiritual blessing when we are in Christ. And God, you do so much to look over us, even when we don't see it, even when it doesn't make sense. You provide for us and you protect us. And God, so oftentimes we believe you use your angels. God, we thank you that you love us so much. God, thank you for all the things you do that we don't even realize. So I pray that we would always sing holy, 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 that we'd always cry out hallelujah. And even when things are terrible, hallelujah anyways, because we trust in your sovereign perfection. God, you say in the word, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. So it's with every breath that we have, everything in our lungs, everything in our hearts, everything in our minds, we use it now to worship you together. And it's in Jesus' name we praise. Amen.